Hermione Granger and the Silent Country. From There Is Nothing to Fear by Santissi Day. Read by Sam Gabriel. Based on the works of J.K. Rowling. Chapter 22 Simply Statistics Hermione rushed from her room, almost slipping on the floor as she rose from bed, scrambling to slip a jacket over her chemise. In the hall, Hermione quickly discovered she wasn't the only one to be awakened by the scream. Lino, a blanket across his shoulders like a long shawl, Vicente, dressed in nighttime loungewear, Fleur, completely proper but for her lack of shoes. For a split second, Hermione saw Idalia, ahead of them all, dressed in a long tunic, wand out and ready to make the first stroke of a curse. The cold outside hit Hermione like a bludger as she exited, and in the dim light of early dawn it took a moment for her to see anything important. There was already a crowd developing, murmuring frightenedly around a black, darker-than-black heap on the ground. Students streamed from the castle in twos and threes and occasionally tens, and a dinghy rode across the black lake from Durmstrang's ship. Within a couple of minutes, it seemed like half the castle was present. Several members of the staff had gathered together, speaking with a frightened Gryffindor whose scream had awoken them, and Maxime stood among them. A black shape lay across the ground, a pile in the form of a body. The frosted grass was wet with blood and strewn with gore, and the thing in the middle had been sliced from neck to belly as with a sword. Beside its outstretched hand were the halves of a snapped wand, a white mask featureless except for a long crack that ran down its middle lay slightly askew. The face beneath it, only partly visible, was gaunt and hollow-cheeked. Some sort of silvery fluid seeped from the crack in the mask, creeping down its blank face and across a bloody handprint. It was strange. Hermione knew how much blood a human body possessed, five liters on average, but she hadn't known how that would look, emptied out and spilled across the grass. "'Calm yourselves. This is not Tom Riddle,' said a Death Eater, whose buzzing, locustal voice sliced through the fog in her thoughts. The grounds were almost swarming with Death Eaters now. At least three had reached the ground while Hermione was staring at the body, and another six were spread out elsewhere. One of them was Riddle, or at least pretending to be Riddle. He was flanked by the headmaster's great black dog, which whined piteously at the shape on the ground, then looked up at the Death Eater at his side. "'It looks like the headmaster,' said a blonde girl named Luna. Hermione had only met her a couple of times, always in association with Ginny, but the impression which she'd made on Hermione continued to be borne out. "'Did you have a twin?' "'Whoever this was, they were under the effect of polyjuice when they died.' the Death Eater said. Far behind them all, Aurors were apparating just outside the grounds. One of the Death Eaters had taken position to play gatekeeper and admitted the Aurors one by one. As each passed through, the Aurors hurried to the field as quickly as their legs could carry them. It could be, Vicente said beside Hermione. The body would not have reverted if there was no magic to affect that reversion. Why would they have taken Polyjuice to look like Headmaster Riddle? Lino asked loudly. I thought that's what the masks were for. As you can see for yourselves, I am not universally popular, explained the Death Eater who claimed to be Tom Riddle. This is not the first attempt on my life, only the first which has gotten so far as this. 
The Durmstrangers had arrived by that point, Dimitri and Victor among them. Dimitri was pale, almost as bone-white as the masks of the two Death Eaters in front of him, the living and the dead. Concern drew itself long across Victor's face, his eyes wide. He put a hand on Dimitri's shoulder, and after a moment Dimitri swallowed and looked away. Nevertheless, Dimitri made a better showing than Karkaroff, who was already returning to his ship on the dinghy that had brought them here. If this one on the ground could be polyjuiced, could it not be that you are polyjuiced? Adalia challenged. Riddle, or the Death Eater who claimed to be Riddle, tilted his head in her direction. He hissed pointedly, then said, Polyjuice cannot make your parcel mal. Anybody could do that, Ron's voice shot out from among the crowd. In any event, it does not matter, Riddle continued. This is not a corpse. This is not the remains of a person that has died. This is a limb, an appendage that was cast off. How can you be so callous? Vicente asked. Whoever it is, they've died. The Death Eater knelt and took their counterpart's mask from the ground. The face of Tom Riddle, real or unreal, was left bare. Deep lines and scars marred the image. One eye stared into the dawn sky, and where another eye ought to have been was a terrible crater. Hermione initially thought it was another wound inflicted by the murderer, but the wound was dry and full of scar tissue. This mask is more important than all the limbs and organs of the one who bore it, said the Death Eater, and indeed they seemed to cradle the mask as though it were a precious antique. I say to you again that no one has died. The Death Eater has one fewer limb today. But it has more limbs than the giant squid. A few meters away from Hermione, Draco swallowed and pulled Columba closer to him, arm wrapped around her shoulder. Then Rita Skeeter, of all people, was suddenly among the crowd, escorted by an auror. She soon engaged with one of the Death Eaters, her quill and paper hovering in the air and hard at work as the two conversed. Will the tournament be cancelled? asked Chrisley Rackharrow who had bundled his face crowned to chin with a green and white scarf that matched his medical magic uniform. Riddle shook his head. The champions are free to bow out if they wish, subject to the terms of the goblet, of course, and no one is required to attend in the audience, but the tournament will not be cancelled. But, sir, the danger— No student has been slain, nor any professor, said Riddle. I was the intended target— only I am in danger. He took a few steps towards Skeeter. A word in private, if you would. Skeeter glanced hungrily at Hermione, then followed Riddle away from the crowd and the Death Eater with whom she'd been speaking. The Aurors must have been waiting for Riddle to leave, because they took that moment to disperse the crowd. Please return to your common rooms, said one, her amplified voice carrying easily across the field. The elves will provide breakfast for you. Students who are found outside their common rooms or dormitories will be severely disciplined. Across the grounds, two aurors and a Death Eater remained at the gates, ready to prevent egress. They admitted a couple of ministry officials, but the representatives of other governments, including Laurent October, remained standing outside. Madame Maxime remained behind, standing head and waist above a small crowd of aurors, Death Eaters, and Hogwarts staff but the rest of the Bobaton delegation were escorted by an auror to the carriage. Hermione, lacking any appetite and desiring to immerse herself in anything at all that wasn't this, 
went immediately to her books, and Fleur, bless her, brought one of her own books into Hermione's room. They extended the desk and studied side by side for a time. They didn't speak, but speech wasn't necessary to be comforted by someone's presence. Food appeared on the desk at 6.45, either by Fleur's request or because the elves knew anyway that they weren't having breakfast with the others. Between Fleur's demanding glare and a vague sense of guilt toward the elves, Hermione managed to nibble away half of a jam tartine and drink most of her coffee, but it took the better part of an hour to do so. She was saved from finishing the other half when Vicente knocked on the door. "'Everyone's wanted in the antechamber,' he said, and Hermione and Fleur followed him through the hall. Maxime had returned and was sitting on a couch by herself. Standing beside her was a scruffy-haired young man who introduced himself as Ororos Riga and requested that they hand over their wands for analysis. Maxime's wand was already in his hand when Hermione arrived, and he passed it back shortly after. No one loved the idea, but Adalia was the most reluctant of all. Only Lena was able to convince her to hand over her wand, and then for ten or fifteen minutes the antechamber was filled with the echoes of recently cast spells and the peculiar musty smell of a speckled yellow rock which Ororosraga held beside each wand. With their permission, granted only by Maxime's request, he also dipped their wands one at a time into a vial of turbulent, wine-dark potion, which clung to each wand like honey but gave up its grasp entirely and left no residue. "'Thank you for participating,' said Osraga. "'You're free to move about.' But be aware that no one is permitted to enter or leave the grounds without escort by an Auror or other authorized ministry representative. Any elves sent from Hogwarts will be examined, and those which do not bear a permission slip from the headmaster will be detained indefinitely. Do you have any questions? As soon as Osraga left them, Hermione returned to her room as quickly as possible, and Fleur followed her again. After only a few minutes, there was a knock on the door, and Madame Maxime entered the room. Fleur stood to leave, but Madame Maxime shook her head. "'This concerns both of you,' she said. With two gestures of her wand, Maxime shut and locked the door, and conjured a chair for herself. Looking down upon them, she asked, "'Do you want to leave the tournament?' "'Only the tournament, not Britain,' replied Hermione. Maxime nodded. "'At this time you are not permitted to leave Britain,' she said and a knot of worry tightened itself in Hermione's chest. Why can't we leave? Headmaster Riddle doesn't think that that I did this, does he? As you might have gathered, a sequestration has been laid across the entire grounds. Headmaster Riddle has expressed a concern that if a special exception were made for you, then it might make you into a target. The killer trying to escape from this area might try to dispose of you and take your place. "'How does he know that the murderer is even still here?' Fleur said. "'Surely they would have fled. "'Professor Riddle only wants to keep Hermione here as his British champion.' "'I agree,' Madame Maxime said. "'But there is another matter. "'Laurent October, too, is intent on keeping you in Britain.' "'Fleur looked at Hermione, anger written across her face. "'He intends to keep both of you in Britain, not only Hermione.' Maxime clarified, but that did nothing to mollify Fleur. "'October cannot do this,' Fleur said. "'Bobeton is independent. We are not beholden to a small man like that. He cannot think that you would not retaliate against him, or that you could not.' 
Madame Maxime calmly waited until Fleur had expended herself, a mountain outlasting the fury of a storm and all its winds, then said, I will remind you, Mr. Lecro, that Laurent October has the ear of his Christian Majesty, the King of France. He can do many things, and I have slightly fewer allies at the moment. Not since that skitter woman accused me of being a giantess. She paused for a moment and breathed deeply. Bobaton may be independent in many respects, yet we are still reliant in some things on the goodwill of the king, certainly more so than we rely on any other country's grace. The chief purpose of the tribal settlement was to build good relations, not just between our three schools, but also the very countries which they represent. If I violate this mission, then I will answer for it. And October is concerned that if anyone is pulled out from Britain, then it will suggest that we do not trust Britain to keep you safe, which would negatively impact relations between Britain and France. But they can't keep me safe, can they? Hermione said. Someone was murdered, just a hundred meters from the carriage. Not, Hermione added with an eye to Fleur, that I seriously feel as though I'm in danger. Anyone who wanted Riddle dead was unlikely to set their sights on her, right? This is true. And the British government, I am told, is grateful for the trust which Laurent October pays them, despite the recent circumstances. And Laurent October is willing to see that Hermione might die? asked Fleur. Like Hermione herself? Madame Maxime said. Laurent October is convinced that she is in no actual danger. But she is, they say, Britain's champion. What if the murderer settles on a symbol since they are unable to find real for real? Fleur said. And Hermione cleared her mind as Dimitri had taught her. She closed her eyes and searched for a still place within herself, but lasted only as long as a slow blink. What Fleur proposed hadn't occurred to her, but it would do little to worry about such things. This is a possibility, Maxime allowed. Hermione, do you wish to withdraw from the tournament? I have remained in contact with Director Desrosiers, and she would be happy to admit you to Le Nettois. They are an excellently regarded school, one of the best on the American continent, and their arithmancy and cultural programs are some of the finest on offer. I thank you, but no, Hermione answered. Hermione, please consider, Fleur said. But Hermione shook her head. Madame Maxime, if I quit the tournament, will I be expelled from the grounds? Had Master Riddle has given me his assurances that you will be permitted to remain. Hermione nodded. She hadn't expected any different. Fleur, if I exit the tournament, then I'm still here. And if the killer thinks that I'm a symbol for Britain, then I don't see why that would stop just because I left. I was still born here. I'm still on the rolls as a Hogwarts student somehow, and even if the school expels me, I'll still have been on the rolls. Honestly, I'll probably be safest during the third task, when the entire school is watching and countless people have come by to ensure security. Reluctantly, Fleur nodded. That night at dinner, it was announced that a curfew of nine o'clock was in effect until further notice. Only astronomy classes were accepted, and the students would be escorted back and forth from class by professors. 
The Gryffindors seemed to pay only a little attention to this news until Headmaster Riddle said that all violations of the curfew, no matter how minor, would be personally handled by Mr. Sable. Two days later, Allroars were present at every entrance to the castle, inspecting every student and professor who passed by. And the next day they were gone. Rumors spread and arguments mounted at Hogwarts and abroad. There was a mild trade in photographs of the murder scene, which had reportedly been captured by Colin Crabcatch, the boy whose brother had been sorted earlier that year. According to Luna Lovegood, Minister Fudge was going to hire additional Dementors to patrol the grounds, but this horrifying theory didn't get much traction. It would kill him politically, which my father says is what Fudge is most concerned about, Draco said. And it wouldn't happen even if he tried. Nobody likes diverting ministry galleons to the Azkaban Fund. In The Daily Prophet, Rita Skeeter published a stream of articles in which she kept current on the investigation and spouted various theories. According to Skeeter, the experts believed that unknown dark magic had been used, and probably with the victim's own wand, which had most likely been snapped in order to prevent any identification of the spell or spells used. From day to day, her favorite party to accuse, French politicians, Durmstrang students, British expats, pure-blood reactionaries, changed without regard for her previous target. Besides Hogwarts classes, correspondence classes, and occlumency, when it wasn't cancelled, Hermione rather felt as if there weren't enough hours in the day, but Adalia had a different opinion, and she was determined to make Hermione a more competent duelist if it killed them both, which it very well could. Hermione, at least, found herself bruised and battered and occasionally a little broken at the end of every session, and sometimes Hermione wondered whether Riddle's would-be killer might not go easier on her than Adalia did. Whenever she could, Hermione retreated to the library for some peace. Adalia was willing to abduct Hermione from a great many places or start dueling practice there, but even Adalia was reluctant to risk Madame Pence's wrath. Usually, Hermione read or assisted Columba, but Draco seemed to be troubled by something, and eventually Hermione decided to do something about it. "'Columba, could you do me a favor and get a compendium of East Asian potions?' asked Hermione, and Columba disappeared so quickly it was almost as if Dimitri had thrown his invisibility cloak over her head. "'Columba will be gone for a while. The library only has one copy of that book, and it's in my bag,' Hermione said. "'Now what's wrong?' "'Do you remember that morning when we thought that Headmaster Riddle had been killed?' Draco eventually said. "'That bothered me, too, though it's easier not to think about it as time goes by,' Hermione admitted. "'It's strange, actually. Peregrine Derrick's burning at the opening duel affected me more than this. Maybe it's because I don't really know who it was. Besides Riddle, most of them are just masked people. Anonymous,' Hermione paused. I'm sorry I wasn't intending to turn this into my confessional. Hermione, you don't understand. Draco's face was grave and paler than it had ever been before. That wasn't the headmaster who spoke to us. That was my cousin. But he... But she... But, but the parcel tongue, Draco. Whatever it was, they used parcel tongue, Hermione said. Didn't they? Are you a parcel mouth? Draco asked, his tone slightly sharp. No, I'm a muggle-born. How could I be? There were parcel mouths at Bulbaton now and then, students from Basque County, but she was unfamiliar with any words in parcel tongue. It had no official dictionary, and was really only useful in Scrabble Saucier if you had too many S tiles. 
It isn't as though you can learn it. And did we see her command a snake? No, as if that would even matter, Hermione added after a moment's thought. There were lots of spells that you could use to compel an animal if you were preparing to put on a show. Ron had been right, hadn't he? Anybody could have done that. It was a bluff, and Ron had called it, but nobody had listened. You sure that it's your cousin, then? There's Polyjuice, after all. Perhaps a lot of it, for that matter. October hadn't told her how many boom slangs the Ministry was harvesting, but for all Hermione knew, they were manufacturing Polyjuice by the barrel. Hermione, I've told you she's my cousin. I know her. But if that wasn't Riddle, then where is he? Was he actually dead? I don't know, said Draco, who was obviously haunted by the same thought. If he really is dead, he glanced away. What's wrong? Do you remember how my father acted a little strangely in October? I told you that it probably had to do with a vote in the Wizengamot, Draco said. Hermione nodded. If not for his timely interventions whenever a student made a dangerous error, Hermione might have thought he wasn't paying attention at all for a couple of classes back then. I remember. Draco bit his lip. It wasn't about the Wizengamot. Then what was it about? Somebody broke into his storeroom, and they stole white emerald powder, both of his vials of Lemus viridus, and, and crocodile tears. This was in October. You weren't talking about the incident a couple weeks ago, she asked. What was stolen two weeks ago, then? My father has no idea what, if anything, was taken. The storeroom was ruined. Draco didn't say anything else, so Hermione thought about that for a couple of moments, trying to fill the gap he'd presented. Those ingredients that you listed for October's theft, those are used in an Ascarotic eviscerant, aren't they? And everything else is simple enough to acquire, Draco confirmed. You could get most of the other ingredients by owl order. Do you think that's what they were trying to make? Lemus viridus has only a few non-toxic applications, and I can't think of any that require crocodile tears as well, Draco said. Hermione couldn't either, so she considered the problem a little more. Escherotic eviscerant is supposed to be ingested. Yes, and I think it's safe to say... Hermione said slowly, that whoever did this is trying to kill Riddle. It's a definite possibility, if nothing else, Draco agreed. But Riddle doesn't eat, or at least he doesn't eat where anybody can see him. Hermione mulled it over. I always thought that was weird, but I assumed he was trying to spook us. But if he took off the mask to eat, then you'd know it was him and not somebody else, unless he used polyjuice, but you would need up to three doses every day. Hermione added. Maybe he's been worried about assassination attempts this whole time. If the Ascaronic Eviscerant were meant to be ingested, then it almost certainly wasn't a Hogwarts resident who was trying to kill Riddle. It had to have been common knowledge amongst the students and staff that Riddle fed every meal to his dog. Only a foreigner would have made the mistake of thinking that Riddle would eat in public eventually and could be reached by a would-be assassin. Had it been Karkaroff, then... October was no enemy to Riddle, that seemed certain, and Hermione couldn't help but feel that Madame Maxime would be a more successful, or at least more cunning, assassin. No, it had to be Karkaroff. As the next full moon approached, the curfew was enforced more strongly than before, 
Then everyone was reminded at the beginning of every class that no one was to go outside after dusk. Werewolves attended Hogwarts, and they were no more permitted to leave the grounds than anyone else. So they would be spending their time in the Forbidden Forest. Everyone would be using Wolfsbane Potion, of course, so no werewolf would pose a danger to anyone, but still, one couldn't fall off a bridge that had never been crossed. Tightening the curfew meant little to Hermione, who had only once embarked on a late-night excursion, but it made her think again of Dimitri. Save for a few mealtime appearances, Hermione hadn't seen Dimitri for several days. Generally, werewolves didn't suffer from pre-lunar syndrome, which was mostly something that just cropped up in fiction. But he hadn't looked well for at least a week, and he was missing meals. Even if Dimitri was just suffering a case of the nerves, it seemed to Hermione that something could be done for him. On the day before the full moon, as soon as she was finished with dinner, which, incidentally, Dimitri failed once again to appear for, Hermione went to the carriage and collected a few potions that she thought might be helpful, calming draft and soothing salve, and a spoonful of meliorating honey. She put them all in her bag, then left the carriage. There were multiple ways to reach the ship, Hermione supposed, but Durmstrang was more secretive than most schools of magic, which were already secretive as a rule. Her arrival would probably go much smoother if it weren't a surprise, so Hermione stood on the shores of the Black Lake beside the pinewood dinghies that the Durmstrang students used to travel from and back to their ship, waiting for someone to arrive. A few minutes later, she saw a trio of Durmstrang students walking her way. "'Hello, I was wondering if I could join you. I'm trying to get to your ship to visit someone.' "'Never what we bring to our ship. What is next? You would like to know our secrets, sabotage for third task?' asked a heavy-set boy, beardless but sporting an impressively thick mustache. The student on his left, a tall, thin-cheeked girl, elbowed him sharply. Her eyes were blue-white and cold-looking, like flakes of ice. Marianta del Victor, said the cold-eyed girl, and she smiled at Hermione. You visit Victor, yeah? she asked. Hermione was really hoping to speak with the Dimitri, but it wasn't too far from the truth, so she nodded and the Durmstrang girl gestured for her to enter the dinghy. We have not seen you before on ship, asked the third member of the Durmstrang trio. Her face was very round, and she had exceptionally sharp fingernails. I am Esfizima. Ah, but things are different now, said the first girl, who introduced herself in passing as Hampus Olaf's daughter. This has to do with that business of dead man, I think. Partly, Hermione admitted. It seems to have affected Dimitri so horribly. See, Olaf's daughter said. There is nothing like mortality to inspire the libido. Hermione turned away, blushing furiously. It's not like that. Ignore her, said the boy, who seemed more pleasant, now that the argument about whether to take Hermione was done and over. Anyway, I am Dudexuki. That's a Czech name, isn't it? Hermione asked, and Suki readily agreed. I didn't realize any Czechs went to Durmstrang. I would have thought they would go to one of the German academies, she said, and Suki's mouth tightened. Czechia, he said firmly, is not, uh, is not German, you say. No, it is not Germania. But it's part of the... Hermione began, but she fell off when Olaf's daughter gave a small shake of her head. Czechia's place in the Wizarding Roman Republic was not up for discussion, apparently. I thought that Durmstrang served Scandinavian and Slavic students, she said, shifting the topic a little. Gilbert Grindelwald had attended Durmstrang, but he had been an exception to many rules, and anyway, he had been expelled, hadn't he? So it wouldn't have surprised Hermione to find that Grindelwald had worked his way through every school in the WRR before he found himself at Durmstrang. 
Terms rang accepts anyone if meet our standards, Suki said. Always there are students from Brazil, which is more far than even Czechia. Shortly thereafter, they reached the ship, which the Durmstrangers called Logshims. From a distance, it had looked like a naval skeleton, and a closer look only increased its resemblance to a corpse. The sails were tattered, the bottom hull encrusted with barnacles, the hull salt-weathered and pockmarked. Without magic, it would probably not have been seaworthy, but magic there was, and perhaps it was less accurate to say the ship was dead than to say it was undead. Misty lights, like a hinky-punk's lantern, glowed from the portholes like a great many ghostly eyes. Somehow Hermione wasn't surprised at the overall decor. Had a muggle built functions, Hermione estimated that perhaps five hundred people might fit aboard, albeit tightly. Olive's daughter told Hermione that there might be three times as many when the ship made its twice-annual trip to ferry students, Scandinavians, Finns, Russian expats like Jima, and a few odds and ends like Victor, Suki, and the Brazilianer students whom Suki had described. They tied their dinghy to some ropes hanging off the side of the deck, and then Jima wrapped her knuckles against the hull, and the enchanted ropes began to pull and lift the dinghy. It looks spacious now, thanks be Rassilene spell, but when whole school is aboard, Suki said, not feel so spacious then, and Johnny take one week or more. An entire week or more, Olive's daughter confirmed, nodding. But that's so long. It took only a day for our carriage to reach Britain from France. Why does your ship travel so slowly? It is uh, so we do not know where Dumstrank is, explained Jima. If it would not cut into this year so badly... Probably they would keep us aboard two months. The ship goes underwater, too, when it sails, so we cannot look at the stars as we go. But can't you look at the stars when you reach Durmstrang? Jima smiled. There are no stars at Durmstrang. She looked up at the darkening sky, where the stars were only just emerging, and Hermione followed her gaze. The night sky must look terrible without any stars, Hermione said. Olive's daughter shrugged. You have not seen a more beautiful darkness than the sky of Durmstrang. Even your headmaster's cloak does not compare. Brittle isn't my headmaster, Hermione protested. Suki raised his eyebrows. But you're British champion, no? I'm a Bobbiton student, Hermione insisted. I don't know how I ended up in the tournament at all, much less how the Goblet of Fire chose me to represent Hogwarts, but I came from Bobbiton, and when this is over, Bobbiton is where I'm returning. That seems to be enough for them, or at least they didn't press further. Did Victor tell you where his cabin is? asked Jima. No. Filled it to him, Hampus, said Jima. Olive's daughter nodded. I will take it on the decks to them, she said. And immediately she began to walk away. You received the Dimitri, probably. They are having troubles lately. I do not know what about, but they hardly have gone out from their cabins, and Dimitri least of all. Only for classes he lives in, sometimes eating. Olive's daughter sighed. Perhaps it was sighting the dead man. I thought he had a strong stomach, but perhaps only for wine. Are they close together, then? asked Hermione. Dimitri's cabin is beside Victor's. They often spend time together. Olive's daughter smiled. But do not worry. Dimitri will not steal your beloved from you. Boys' passions for each other are short-lived. Anyway, I have heard Dimitri is dating one of you French girls, no? She asked in poor French. Samara is Hispanipulitana. Hermione corrected. Bobetona, at least, Olive's daughter said, and she led Hermione down into the ship, whose doors were sealed like bottle caps and required wand work to open. When we go underwater, we do not get wet like fish, Olive's daughter said.
The cramped halls were lit by glowing white stones, which hung from the ceiling in mesh bags. Victor will be at the end of the hall, in 13U, or 13R, Olive Starter said when they had reached the end. And now I will go. I have project to complete. As it happened, Victor was not in 13U, so Hermione had to knock on the other door. When Victor opened the door, he looked solemn and a little red-faced, more angry than drunk, but his complexion brightened at the sight of Hermione. He smiled a little, then sighed. I am delighted and surprised to see you, Hermione, but I am afraid I was soon to leave because I am greatly needing sleep. It's all right, Hermione said, and she kissed his cheek and waited for him to enter his own room before she looked back at Dimitri's door, which had been left slightly ajar. Dimitri, is it all right if I come in, or would you like me to close the door? You may come, Dimitri said, and Hermione entered. Dimitri was laying in a hammock, staring at the ceiling with an expression so slight that it almost wasn't there at all. Hermione sat in a chair beside Dimitri's desk and looked around the room. She had read that the shrieking shack was once a hideous wreck, full of slashed walls and broken furniture, but there was nothing of the sort here. Perhaps Dimitri fastidiously repaired everything, or maybe he simply had a different technique. With Victor able to assist, it wasn't out of the question that Dimitri was simply bound in goblin iron chains or something of that nature. I noticed you haven't been feeling well, so I came to bring you some potions, Hermione said. Dimitri moved his head a little, giving the smallest of nods. Thank you, Hermione, you're a good friend. Is there something wrong, Dimitri, besides, uh, besides being a werewolf, Hermione wanted to say, but that seemed inappropriate. Nobody had specifically said that he was a werewolf, and Hermione didn't want to put him in a panic or get Victor in trouble for having said enough that she could put the clues together. I heard that you didn't take it very well when the... Well, you're not alone, Hermione said. It's okay. I wish that I was so bothered by it, to be honest, because instead I'm left wondering why I'm not, and hoping that it wasn't that the tournament has just inert me to these things... Brittle didn't seem bothered by it either, with all that talk of tentacles, and I don't like sharing any traits with him. Finally, Dimitri spoke. I am wondering whether Riddle is, how do you say, sane. I've seen him at times when he thinks he is alone. He puts on a ring, which he twists around his finger, and then he is speaking, but he does not speak to anyone who is there. Who does he talk to? Albus Dumbledore. Hermione was just a little confused. Dumbledore was dead. Do you mean that he speaks to Dumbledore's portrait? No, no, Dimitri said. He speaks to no one, as though there was something sitting in the chair across from him, but there is nothing over there. It is empty. What does he talk about? Sometimes they speak of students and the school, or they speak of the past, or rather... Riddle speaks, and speaks as though some other person speaks back to him. Hermione considered this. You stole the eyes of Providence, didn't you? And then you planted one in his office. Dimitri hesitated. Yes, but not all, he added. I stole only two. Hermione narrowed her eyes. Are you absolutely sure about that? I thought that three had been stolen. Dimitri nodded. Maybe third is misplaced. Maybe someone else stole it. Why did you steal two? 
The eyes connect to each other. I am not sure how to make connection to them otherwise, but I put one in Riddle's office, keep the other to view from like crystal ball. You got in there with your invisibility cloak, she asked, and Dimitri nodded. How do you know it's actually Riddle? I mean, he wears the mask, doesn't he? Dimitri didn't answer immediately. Sometimes he is taking it off. Not often, no, only now, when he speaks to nothing. If Dimitri had his own personal look into Riddle's life, then there might be something else he had found out. Do you know who tried to kill Riddle, then? Hermione asked. I have no clues. Dimitri sighed and looked away. Do not be telling anyone, please. Compared to murder, spying felt almost harmless. Besides, it was Riddle that they were talking about. Hermione wasn't about to lose any sleep over an invasion of his privacy. But if she told anyone, then it seemed probable that Dimitri's crimes, such as they were, might warrant a visit to Mr. Sable. Cockroft and Stryker as the sort of man who would insist on protections for his students, at least not for students like Dimitri. I won't tell anyone, she promised. For the full text of this and other stories by the same author, visit the archive of our own page of Call Me Saltisside. The music is Amon Ra by Day's Witch, under a Creative Commons license, with assistance from 1T1. If you would like to commission me to record a story, voiceover, or character, please get in touch with me using the contact information on my website, which is located at sangabrielvo.com. And there you can find other stories that I've read, as well as links to my Patreon page, to which I hope you consider subscribing to support me, and my Discord server, where I record things live for your enjoyment. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.